0: Earning is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 376 with Ariana Tabawada. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, as well as any discount codes from our sponsors, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 376. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Ariana Tabawada is a shameless mom, maternal health researcher, author, and owner of a consulting firm that helps female founders intelligently design maternity leave plans that meet their business model and personal needs. She draws from her expertise as a maternal health professional combined with her experience as a business owner and mother to provide highly personalized services for service-based entrepreneurs. Prior to her consulting practice, Ariana worked on mental health issues for over a decade as a health educator, a social worker in a mental health clinic, a reproductive health researcher, and a yoga therapist. Listen in to hear Ariana share how to approach maternity leave as experimental and not templated, understanding that you cannot predict what your situation might be. The necessity of framing maternity leave as a basic human right. Three tips to baby-proofing your business for entrepreneur mamas. Places and groups where you can connect with other new mamas in order to strengthen your social support networks and how to create a transition plan back to prepare to re-enter your work postpartum. This was a fantastic conversation. I so appreciate the work that Ariana is doing. I think you're going to learn something today. You're going to love her energy. And this was a fun conversation and also a really, really important one when we talk about basic human rights for moms and babies in order to have better outcomes for moms and babies in terms of the impact on maternity, postpartum maternal care, and postpartum situations and health situations and standards for babies, including infant mortality rates. This is an important conversation with a lot of important talking points. So please listen in, share this episode and enjoy. With all that said, I'm so delighted to be introducing you to Ariana Tabawada. Ariana, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. How are you? I'm
1: good. Thanks for having me, Sarah. We you know, before we got on air, we were talking about some mutual connections we have. So it's always fun to hop on with someone who you just know is good people because they know other good people in your life.
0: <laughs> I love it. I know we have to give shout outs to Sarah Peck and Christine McAllister, who've both been on the show. And you are good friends with them. And I love it when I get to like bring the group in bring the friends all together. <laughs> so fun. So, I want you to tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio, which we already covered, and talk about what you're most excited about in your life right now
1: so I uh, as you you know mentioned in in the intro a bit, I um, have been professionally in the maternal health world for a long time, but personally in the maternal health world for a shorter time. I have a three and a half year old at the time of this recording so Really, I feel like so much of my life, whether it's the professional side or the personal side, kind of revolves around around a set of common topics, <laughs> the transition <laughs> to motherhood, um, postpartum recovery. And so I very much feel like it's just this prime example of the personal is professional and the professional is personal and it all kind of mixes together. That's so interesting. I've
0: never been one who has been able to separate those two. And I think it's because I have tended to choose careers that integrates them deeply. And so yeah, my personal and professional worlds coincide all the time. And I don't want to separate them anymore. Like I want
1: to have them all just jumbled up.
0: (laughs) Yeah, maybe that means well, I have poor boundaries I don't know <laughs>
1: yeah. I feel like you've you've found a way to make it work with the shameless mom academy so right. it's yeah no you do have, you have to make it work on
0: your own terms for sure but yeah it is nice it is helpful when you have worlds collide I think it makes you more compassionate in your work when you can bring your personal life into it to some to whatever degree is appropriate for you so I want to talk about maternity leave in a few different contexts today. I know this is your area of expertise. And so let's start with what maternity leave looked like for you and what inspired your
1: work in this field. Sure. So as I mentioned, I am a maternal health researcher by training. And so maternity leave was I was deeply familiar with it in terms of the science and the data and and policies. And then when I was pregnant, it was 2015, I was in Mexico, and I was self-employed, ran a consultancy focused on on maternity leave. Um, and I had actually just pivoted to being broadly about maternal health and postpartum support to specifically providing maternity leave consulting for entrepreneurs. So I essentially became my own client. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, Mexico actually... Unlike the U.S., has a federal maternity leave policy. However, like, like most countries that have policies, it, it only applies um, for employees working for an employer. And so I was self-funding my leave. That was probably the most stressful part of leave in some aspects of planning my leave i felt really comfortable like i knew inside out what was the best practices around how much time to take and how to ease back into work i knew exactly kind of the on medical side what kind of physical recovery i should expect by the time i went back to work what kind of mental emotional state would would, would most benefit my transitioning back into working and totally new territory of being a working mother. So I felt like there were a lot of things that I kind of knew, or at least I had some good ideas and some good evidence on how to set myself up well. But then there was just the inherent, like, you don't know what you don't know. And the,
2: <laughs> <Totally>.
1: <laughs> and just uncertainty around every corner, right? So I had planned and kind of financially banked um, four months of leave And my husband, who was also self-employed, ended up losing a big contract right when I was about six weeks postpartum. So I had a mix of one-on-one clients and also health systems that I consulted for. And so they knew to expect me not coming back to work. But at about six weeks, I started just looking at like, what could I do? And if I got eight hours of childcare for the remainder of my leave, what could I do in those eight hours? What would be the lowest lift for me? What would be the types of things that would best align with how I was feeling mentally, physically, uh, emotionally, and that's what I did. I ended up not going back to work full time. I ended up come incrementally building on those initial 8 hours um, over the course of a year. So I didn't start working full time again until my son was a year old. Mm.
0: So what was you talk about the feeling like it was formulaic before you were in it and then recognizing that's not. (laughs) And I think that's almost universal that like before we have a first, and I'll put this in the context of people having first children. I actually had a massage therapist I worked with years ago and prior to her maternity leave of her first child, she said, well, I'm gonna take X amount of weeks off. I think it was like two months. I'm gonna take two months off and that's what I can afford to do. I have my own business and then uh, I'm gonna come back. And when I got pregnant about a year after her, she was like, do not tell your people a timeline because you just have no idea. And it was so funny because I very much was like, oh, but this is the formula. Like, you And you pick your formula. Like, well, her formula was two months. I'm going to give myself three. And she was like, no, no, no. Like, don't think any formula is going to apply because you just don't know what kind of baby you're going to get. You don't know what your circumstances are going to be. You don't know what your partner's circumstances are going to be. And so I'm curious kind of your thoughts on having a formula and then it being like, there's nothing one size fits all about maternity leave.
1: Yeah. So the funny thing is, even for myself, and it sounds like, you know, this massage therapist you talk to, and, and maybe you, but most people who come my way, and most I find that most people who are, who are running a business, and then get pregnant and are expanding their family, like, we like to have a plan,
2: we yes. like to have a <laughs> roadmap.
1: And so my, my kind of approach is always let's build a plan that you can pivot from and let's approach it with a spirit of curiosity and experimentation. Mm. And I went to social work school. I'm a social worker by training. So a a big piece of it is, is just mentally preparing yourself to understand what the barriers to executing that plan exactly as you've written it out might be. And going through the mental exercise we call it mental contrasting of thinking, OK, what if a really big challenge pops up to this plan? What are my alternatives going to be? What if I decide I don't want to follow this particular piece of the plan? What's maybe a, you know, an alternative route? And so thinking through, you know, a, a kind of simple way to put it, thinking through best and worst case scenarios.
2: <laughs> right,
1: and that that contemplating that the plan is just kind of a loose guiding framework for what actually might be your your lived plan. Right. <laughs> that having that approach and that mindset is really helpful as opposed to let's not do a plan at all.
0: Right. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And that was my, my massage therapist example was she's like, I didn't plan for Coming back after two months to clients who had like, I, she had booked appointments. Like she went on maternity leave with like appointments booked two months out to get back to work. And she's like, I didn't think about coming in to do massage with my breasts leaking over dudes' heads. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like things like that were, so I mean, to your point, there's so many things you can't predict. And, Let's also be clear that not all of us have the luxury of flexibility in in returning to work and in situations. And so, I think that we have to, like you said, like planning for the for the best and the worst all at one time. Um, I think is beneficial in terms of just managing the mindset around around what maternity leave might look like.
1: Yeah, and I think some of the maternity, some of the best examples of how to design maternity leave actually come from corporate environments that don't, you know, you get set amount of time and then you are back full time. But even there, we're seeing so much innovation in terms of return pathways. Um, so designing your return for maternity leave and thinking about what are the things that help teams um, support a member who's going on leave, what helps a team support a member who's coming back and logistics like, pumping or like just needing a little more time and space to like get started with your day than you might have previously needed like leaving early for childcare pickup or ending your workday earlier than before. So I think there's a lot of exciting things happening in the world of maternity leave overall in terms of policy and in the absence of of a strong federal policy, what are things that you can do, whether you run a small business or work for a nonprofit or a company or a large corporation, what are the things you can do to try and make the process a little more humane? Right. This episode is supported by Air Doctor.
0: You probably don't know that Americans take in about 20,000 breaths per day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors. The indoor air that we breathe can be up to 100 times more polluted than outdoor air, according to the EPA. Indoor air pollutants can cause upper respiratory symptoms like sneezing, coughing, congestion, scratchy throat, and even more serious health problems like lung and heart disease. So what's the solution? Introducing Air Doctor, the air purifier that filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so your lungs don't have to. This includes allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I am so excited that we just got our own Air Doctor for our house, and we will have it all up and running and ready to go in time for... All the things that come with spring weather, but also smoke season, which is just around the corner for those of us in the Pacific Northwest, and I know many of you across the country. So here's how you can get your own Air Doctor. First of all, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Have you read, uh, not Michelle, (laughs) Melinda Gates' book, uh, Moment of Lift? I have not yet. Oh my gosh, it's so good. And there's only, I mean... It's not all about maternity leave by any means, but that is one of the things she talks about and then parental leave in general. And it's it's a fascinating read. I cannot recommend it highly enough. But one of the things she does talk about, and I know you're on board with, is maternity leave as a human right. And that the US ranks dangerously and embarrassingly and inappropriately low on this measure compared to the rest of the world and she talks specifically about how this is a risk to mothers physical and mental health and to overall infant mortality so i would love to hear i know you also feel passionately about maternity leave as a basic human right for a woman can you talk about that a little bit and kind of go in, we'll go in that direction
1: sure so i definitely in my early career was trained within a rights framework and so what that meant is that just access to To health and human services, what's the differences in places that provide those things as a right, where it looks like universal health care and the right to health built into, is literally written into the Constitution, things like that, versus a place like the U.S., which doesn't actually have the right to health um, and access to services written into um, its policy frameworks, and what we know is that when something like health is framed as a basic human right, then everyone benefits, like it's not just sick people benefit, it's not just wealthy people benefit, it's not just certain segments of the population. And but yet when health is not written in as a right, and I'm kind of framing maternity leave as under the health framework, and yeah. you'll I'll go into a little more. But when it's not written in, then you do see certain segments of the population who suffer, women included. So, thinking about policies like maternity leave, like access to quality care before, during and after having a baby, when we think of that as something that is really going to benefit not just an individual woman's health, but her child's health and in the long term, you know, the the health of yeah, everyone comes from somewhere, so the health of society And we even have data that talks about some of the economic benefits of maternity leave so when women are live in a country that have a policy that supports their ability to recover from childbirth and reintegrate into the workplace in a way that aligns with the physical recovery um, and the mental transition into motherhood then we see productivity and economic returns significantly improved and impacted so if it makes financial sense and it makes sense from a health Perspective, then it really, you know, for someone like me, it's kind of a no brainer. There's, there's plenty of policymakers who, right. <laughs> who disagree, but you can really argue it any way. It's about women's health, but it's also about children's health. It's also about the health of communities and economic health and viability for communities and, and countries. So I do, I take a pretty hard stance of maternity leave shouldn't be a nice to have benefit which right now some companies are, you know, choosing that path in the absence of a federal policy. But I really think that it's going to take both individual company policies as well as federal change to shift who has access to leave and who has access to the the health outcomes that come from a strong leave policy.
0: Absolutely. So you mentioned maternity leave pathways in the context of corporate settings. Can you talk a little bit about how you see that evolving and growing? And I mean, obviously, there's clear benefits to that. But what are some of the things and some of the innovations that you're seeing
1: in that area? Sure. So a few things I'm seeing. The first is really comes from the data around paternity leave. And so seeing that when fathers take leave, that everyone benefits, basically. (laughs) Women benefit, children benefit, and fathers benefit. And so a lot of places are instituting, as opposed to maternity leave policies, parental leave policies that do not have um, any differences in amounts of leaves or types of leaves for parents of any gender. So that is one. The second kind of really supportive pathway that I've seen is thinking about onboarding people post-maternity leave and organizations providing kind of a a flex schedule, options for flexing in um, and transitioning back in, um, both in terms of time, but also in terms of the type of work people take on that, you know, essentially figuring out ways for people to have success as they transition back into work because, which I think is so important because a lot of times the transition into motherhood is, especially for women who are extremely career driven, it's like the first time in a while that you feel pretty incompetent on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. of like just keeping this small human alive mm-hmm. when you're used to making stuff happen. So that is something that I've loved seeing is just figuring out, okay, how do we make this a win for everyone? How do we make the return to work a win for the woman, a win for an organization, a win for business and families? And then lastly, I've seen kind of what I'll call broadly psychosocial support in the workplace, which is really just more awareness around what it takes to be a working parent and providing resources for working parents, whether it's professional development or coaching or affinity groups, just the acknowledgement that dual identity exists and that the space to explore how to do that better and And in a way that, again, supports the goals of both women and organizations.
0: Right. Oh, I love those are all really great ones. And we definitely see I'm up here in Seattle and we definitely see these things happening on an increased level in corporate around here. Amazon is like in my backyard um, (laughs) and on my back porch. And they are they've adopted, um, I believe it's a six week paternity leave policy. And we've had friends who've gone to take advantage of that. And it's just really fascinating to see. And I think that you brought up something that reminded me of a conversation I had with one of my coaching clients recently. And she was talking about doing some shifting some things in her business, not related to maternity leave, but in shifting things, she was seeing all these shifts as costs. Like, well, if I do this and this, it's going to cost me more and cost me more. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's going to create space for you to gain more things. And I think that that's what we're up against with when we look at maternity leave as companies. And I mean, you could say the same thing about entrepreneurs, that companies and women who own businesses, we see maternity leave as a cost instead of an opportunity for massive gain. And everything that you just said around how we know if we support women in certain ways that we know that they will actually be more productive in certain ways and they can actually add to the company's bottom line. And I know in my situation, the year that I was pregnant, my CPA and my financial advisor both said to me, well, now that you, since you're going to make less money this year, and I was like, wait, what? (laughs) No, (laughs) hashtag watch me. But like, I'm not making less money this year because I had a baby. I'm going to work less, but that's, so it's not a cost to me to have a baby. I'm just restructuring things, my outcomes are going to be the same, or my company's outcomes are going to be the same, if not greater. And so I think it's just a massive mental reframe. And some people are ready for it. And and some companies and policymakers are ready for it. And some not so much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have seen some really amazing kind of up leveling happen, particularly with women entrepreneurs, when they say, okay, I know there are certain things that I do right now that I know I don't want to do coming back from maternity yes. leave. So how can I really shore up my operations? to have it be a business that's still doing what it does, but more efficient and in a way that is more compatible with what life's about to look like.
0: Yeah. And actually, I can speak directly to that. I had been before. So I was in the fitness business when I was pregnant with my son. I had a gym. I was doing one-on-one personal training. I was teaching classes, had my hands in everything. And I knew that after my son was born, I was not Super interested in returning to one-on-one personal training, but I had all these clients I'd been working with. Many of my clients that I had at that point was only a handful, and some of them I'd worked with for like eight years. So I was like, yeah. okay, this is an opportunity for me to like create a boundary that I'm not going to come back from maternity leave and go back into personal training. Um, and so I absolutely agree that there's nothing like a deadline for you to do to create new boundaries and policies and. Situations within your own company, whether, you know, if you're the owner of the company, especially to make things work for you in a more effective, more efficient way um, to that serves you as an individual, but also serves your community or, and or your team as well.
1: Yeah, you can use it as an excuse for some ways, as you just mentioned. Opportunity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for
0: sure. So I want to talk a little bit about let's shift into entrepreneurship a little bit. What are you I know you have three ways of baby proofing your business. So talk about the tips that you recommend for entrepreneurs who are pregnant or planning on expanding their families and how women can baby proof their
1: businesses. Sure. So actually going back to what I just mentioned in terms of getting operations in order. So I often find that really revisiting, or if you don't currently have them developing um, standard operating procedures is like a a must do. (laughs) Because even if it is going to be you doing some of those same things, having it written out when you have interrupted sleep can be really helpful. (laughs) So A big focus on operations is the first tip of like spend time, calendar time on your, you know, in every week um, dedicated to thinking through operations and, and documentation of just what keeps your core business functions running every week. The second thing I also like to share um, is I really encourage people to think of a cutoff for starting leave at around 37 weeks. You know, 37 weeks is considered full term, um, and babies can you know full the the span of what full term and when baby might come is is a big time period, anywhere from like 37 to 42 weeks. So. There's often no downside to taking leave a little earlier and you can still end up doing stuff. But what I like to try to avoid is people committing to things and then going into labor before they can actually (laughs) make good on whatever they have planned. So I definitely always recommend starting leave before like your actual due date.
0: (laughs) That's very important. In fact, California has I believe you're entitled to a month off before your due date
1: yeah with California state leave policy you can apply your first four weeks of paid leave by the state to the first or the last four weeks of pregnancy that's right yeah
0: a friend of mine did that and I was like wait you're doing what this is amazing I'm so impressed so yeah I love it. Mm -hmm. So, okay, go ahead and continue on baby proofing your business. I got sidetracked there.
1: Sure. Um, And then the third tip that I think is so important for entrepreneurs who may work from home or work online is to really think about what are the local resources that are available to you in your community. From my mental health background, we know that isolation is a major risk factor For perinatal mood disorders. And, you know, that it's also kind of a hallmark of postpartum. You're alone with a baby for a lot of time. And so, really thinking about who are the people in my network, and that includes family, friends, community level support, social support, like new mother groups or new motherhood centers, or your providers or professional support. So, mental health professionals who can actually help screen and diagnose if needed. And so really taking a lot of time to carefully think about that support network and building, if you see that you have a big gap in support, like you don't know who you would go to if you were having a really hard day, then thinking about what are the relationships I need to strengthen to be able um, to have a network of folks that I can turn to should things just be harder than I expect, which in my experience is always the case.
0: (laughs) Yes, 100. It will be harder than you expect. Let's just put that out there for sure. This episode is supported by Nutrafol. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, faster growing hair with less shedding. Oh my gosh, I am a heavy shedder. So if you are a heavy shedder or if you are someone who's wanting to thicken your hair, I definitely want you to try out Nutrafol. I have loved using it myself and I know multiple other people who've used it and have found great results. While many supplements rely solely on ingredient studies, Nutrafol clinically tests final formulations to ensure their efficacy. In a clinical study, 86% of women reported improved hair growth after taking Nutrafol women's hair growth supplement for six months. Find out why 4,500 healthcare professionals and hairstylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Go to Nutrafol.com. That's N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com promo code SHAMELESS. Nutrafol.com code SHAMELESS are specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, I swear it's like, So I know when my son was really little, so I had friends who had found social networks in a few different places. So I'll kind of list these out because this might be helpful. And I would love to know if you have any to add. Um, I had friends who found social support groups through childbirth classes and then kind of stuck together. Like they did a childbirth class in late in pregnancy and then stayed together with some of those families and kind of ended up becoming friends after that and using that as a support network after baby. Are you familiar with PEPs? Have you heard of PEPs? I have not. So it's only, I think it's only in Seattle, but it's a parent group for parents of newborns who are geographically in the same neighborhoods and have had babies within about four to six weeks of each other. So we did that. That was an amazing resource. So we signed up for that while I was still pregnant with the projected delivery timeline and so that was a great support service for us that started when my son was like two and a half months old and then and we continued we it was a 12-week program that we did with families six other families but then we all stayed i mean we're still friends now and then another place that i see women leveraging social support networks in the seattle area is through community facebook pages and that's not nearly as structured but there's places where i'll see people reaching out and saying like hey I have a three-year-old and I'm pregnant with my second do around this date, like anyone else in the same boat and like want to connect or do play dates or anything like that. And so I actually see women reaching out in what I consider to be pretty vulnerable ways to say like, Hey, like I'm over here looking to grow a network. (laughs) And, And I think it's amazing. And so I've, those are kind of the three places that I've encouraged women to look to expand those networks and connect with networks prior to giving birth. And I would love to know what you would add to that.
1: Yeah. So two other places that I've seen have really strong, especially new moms groups, similar to the one you described, not necessarily with a curriculum, but a space where you can show up as you are, <laughs> are doulas who typically just you know have a private practice and host new moms groups. I've seen doulas do those. I've seen birth centers that organize them. And you can, again, these are usually organized by doulas and midwives, but they, you don't have to have given birth with those individuals. They don't have to have attended your birth to be able to, to join. Um, so these are groups that are typically open, just opt-in, open to anyone. And then for kind of a next level support, which are more psychotherapy groups, I really like going through Postpartum Support International. They have a fantastic helpline. I think their website is just PSI. But if you Google postpartum support international, it will come up Um, and they really are international. So I just sent someone over to their website, a friend from Mexico, um, and they have local coordinators who are can tell you for your geographic area what resources there are. So they can usually direct you either to an individual therapist or groups that are going on. Um, And you just call the helpline and a trained volunteer addresses your needs. And then the local area coordinator usually calls you back shortly.
0: Oh, that's great. I love this is like an international situation. (laughs) That's that's super powerful. I actually, when you were mentioning doulas, I was thinking about my lactation consultant who I got to visit on a very regular basis when my son was really little. One of the other, and I didn't go often enough to really build a support network there, but I appreciated that she had this opportunity. She had like nursing class session, like drop-ins. And I want to say it was like every Wednesday or something. It was like office hours and you would go on a Wednesday and it was literally like all these moms who were struggling with nursing were just sitting around half naked, trying to get their babies to latch. But to be able to have a Place where you can show up and you were in the most, one of the most, if the most, if not one of the most vulnerable phases of your life, where you can show up and you sit around with all these moms with your shorts off trying to figure this all out. And I think there's something to be said for that level of connection when you're in a really hard place and everyone else is in a hard place and all the barriers are down, all the walls are down. And those are special, special places to connect with people. And so I would encourage people to think about all the suggestions that we just gave and look into where you can find people who are where you're at. Because I, what I found to not be helpful was my friends who had three-year-olds who were like, just telling me it gets better. Just Mm -hmm. stick with it. (laughs) You know, like that. And not that they had ill intentions. I appreciated their, you know, their love and support, but I really needed to be in someone in the company of someone who understood that I only slept for 45 minutes last night. And that really sucks.
1: Yeah. I mean, I even like to differentiate between peer support and near peer support, like peers, just Uh, anyone in your like group, but a near peer is like someone who is close enough to what you are experiencing now that they remember what it's like and can actually, you know, be empathetic and provide the kind of support that's just sometimes about listening and, and holding space for whatever you're going through. Yeah. One of the greatest when we
0: first got together with our peps group, our parent group, one of the greatest, ahas or takeaways from that first meeting for me was that I thought everyone was going to talk about how they love nursing. And we went around this circle of seven women and every single one was like, nursing's really hard. I really hate it. <laughs> and it was so, I think one of them had had like a really easy experience and the rest of us were like, this is horrible. And that was so comforting. And to your point, when someone is in it right at the exact
1: time and they can be like, yep, I'm with you. <laughs> Nothing yeah. compares to that. I know. It's like normalizing of experience that happens in those group spaces is amazing. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about transition times and I know you speak around the transition times for various seasons of motherhood. So can you talk about that and especially as it relates to going back to work and if you see that being different between, you know, a
1: mom who's in an entrepreneurial situation versus corporate? Sure. Well, I'll start backwards and addressing the, is it different between entrepreneurs and women in company or corporate settings. I mean, I think the reality of it being a period of transition is universal. Some of the structures around like how much flexibility you have differ. I've seen that be kind of a point of difference for women who are in companies where, you know, if they don't return full time, it's not an option. Right. <laughs> Whereas entrepreneurs do have it's like the silver lining of you, you definitely don't have any paid leave, but you can kind of figure out a schedule to, right, right, right.
0: <laughs> to make it work. So flexible. Um, right.
1: And so I but trend like the universal aspect is everyone is experiencing this major shift. And so you heard me talk a bit a little bit on the the tip about starting your leave before you are like, you know, pushing out a baby.
2: Right, right. <laughs>
1: um, because the ability to to just kind of step back and take stock of, okay, this is like, this is a point where I am becoming and transitioning into this new identity. It can be wonderful to actually have the bandwidth to think about that before you have made the shift. Um, so a lot of women, I find we don't think about you know, not being pregnant anymore and what my identity of new mom is like until you're sitting there holding a baby. And if you can create a little more spaciousness around that, then it's fantastic because you might, you know, say, oh, I think I'm really going to need some support around that transition. I'm going to look up a new mom's group now. Or, you know, I actually am having a lot of fear. So I'm going to reach out to my therapist or I'm noticing that like I, love work. And I don't really want to step away for as long as I originally thought. And then it's revisiting the plan. And so on the front end, transition is amazing transition time. Um, And then on the other end, I love some of these, you know, on the company side, these kind of flexible return plans and for entrepreneurs, the ability to create your own um, return to work plan that that and capitalizes on that flexibility so that you cannot have to go from like 100% mom and baby mindset to 100% the very next day, all of a sudden, working mom mindset. Right. And how do I make that shift, both in logistics and in my own kind of mental space and acceptance and identity transformation. And so if you have the time to more gently transition in, then it can also, when you are not just having to pour in hours to, because it was a plan and you, you know, have to meet the plan as it is, then you can actually build space into having the time to process what that return to work means for you and what this new identity means for you, in addition to just going through the motions.
0: Right. One thing that just came to mind is the women listening to this podcast largely already have children. But many times as we are approaching having second children or third or fourth children, we look at what we did the first time. And I think a lot of times, I mean, kind of as we've already referenced, we go into that first experience pretty blindly and like just mm-hmm. with a template that we're like, oh, well, I'm just going to do steps one through five and then we'll be fine. <laughs> and it's never that simple. And so I'm curious if you have any thoughts around women who are looking at a second or third experience of going through the postpartum period and how to thoughtfully look back at their previous experience and make their next experience And I will say this by acknowledging that I have multiple members in my community who say that the second time was so much easier, but they had a lot of anxiety going into it. And this is around the entire postpartum experience, not just the work component, but they had a lot of anxiety going into the second child being born because the first time was so hard. And so any insight along those lines as it relates to maternity leave and planning around that transition for a second or, or later child?
1: Yeah. So I always like to start with like the strengths based approach, which is like taking some time to reflect and make a list of what really helped you feel supported the first time around. And so even if it was so, so hard that most people can identify like one or two things that helped them or when that person brought over a meal that one time and really dedicating some thought to how you can make those things, how can you make those positive moments kind of exponentially grow this time around. Right, right. (laughs) And then you go to the not-so-positive and the kind of the deltas, what would you change? So for everything that was a challenging experience your first time around, asking yourself the question of what would help me not experience that same challenge or what would kind of lessen the, the burden of that challenge... And so you end up with some really concrete things. The other thing, just with women who are not just having a baby, but usually, you know, adding adding things onto whatever kids that already exist, is taking stock of what are all the things you're responsible for on a daily basis and really finding ways to have those things taken care of for the initial postpartum period. So, you know, things like daycare drop-offs and pickups for other kids, all your basic needs, (laughs) food, clean clothes, an occasional bath. (laughs) Right, right. And, and actually going through and like making lists and organizing things. I, I have a tool that I'm happy to share the, um, the link to, but it's an exercise. It's called the postpartum eco map, where it basically asks you to list out all the things that you want taken care of and identify people who are going to do them
0: <laughs> and oh, then make the asks. Perfect. Yes. I love this. Um, yeah. Cause well, I was going to say this list is not about like all the things you need to do. It's all the things you can delegate. And you probably only need to do like 5% of them. Like you're the only one that can nurse your baby, but someone else can clean the pump parts and someone else can change diapers and someone else can do the groceries and the pickup of the other kids and all those things.
1: Yeah. And finding out, you know, the most ways that like non-Western cultures refer Mm. to the postpartum period is like it's the period of mothering the mother and of kind of mom is confined more or less. So even in kind of our modern day era, what are the ways in which you can be mothered in those first few weeks? And that, again, it's a mindset thing sometimes is just thinking about, you know, if I'm conceptualizing myself as someone who is as needy as my infant is going to be, what are the ways that I'm going to get my needs met?
0: I love that. I th- think that's very counterculture in terms of, especially if you have multiple children, the images that we see online are like, you pick up that newborn, you strap it to your body and you just go and you chase the other kids. And some of that, like am not denying that there isn't some necessity around like obviously having to take care of your smaller children and things like that, but I love this awareness around mothering the mother and I'm super impressed that that's part of other cultures because I think that we could really benefit from highlighting that in the US um, as a value because I don't think that we do right now. I think it's there's way more emphasis placed on how quickly you get back and do the things. And I remember my doctor telling me I should only go up and down my stairs one time a day after my son was born. And I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, no, like you really need to be resting right now. This was shocking to me. Like I was ready to I was like, oh, I was going to like start taking him for walks around Green Lake, which is a three mile lake, by the way, (laughs) like the day after (laughs) he was born. She's like, no, like you're supposed to lay on the couch for a couple weeks, if longer, if you can. I was completely dumbfounded (laughs) because this is not what we see. I'm like, oh, I just see people like nursing on the go while they're pushing other kids. And so it's that's fascinating to me. And I absolutely appreciate that value. And would love to see more of that demonstrated um, in our media.
1: Yeah. All right. Yes. So
0: this has been so good. I want you to let people know where they can connect with you before I ask our last question. So where can people connect with you? Get your resources, that fantastic resource you just mentioned, all those kinds of things.
1: Sure. So my home on the internet is just my name, com. It's not a particularly easy name to spell, <laughs> so you can visit the show notes yes, we'll check all that out up over there. And then that eco map, the postpartum planning eco map I mentioned, is just available on there as a perfect. free resource.
0: Perfect. I
1: love it. And yeah, I'm I'm on Instagram a lot these days. So yes. <laughs> so if you're into Instagram, we can find each other there. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm gonna go find you there right after this. <laughs> That's perfect. This has been so fantastic. I so appreciate you being here, Ariana. And can you tell us now how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom?
1: Sure. So I, uh, my shameless mom, <laughs> current thing is is I don't cook anything Monday through Thursday. We oh, picked out a great like love this. Yeah. So we found a company that can deliver stuff. Shows up. It's freshly. But I've yes. tried a few other different ones until we found one that worked for our family, and it has been great. It means like no one is waiting on me to eat. Right. <laughs> and then I get to eat as soon as I get home too. <laughs> I love it. And I have actually, Freshly was a
0: sponsor of the show for a while and they're all frozen meals. At least this was a year ago more or more maybe, but it's all
1: frozen meals, right? Um, These are actually not frozen. Oh. So- so that's why we only do Monday through Thursday, because okay. they have a shelf life of about four days. Okay, okay. But they'll deliver at the beginning of the week. They're definitely pre prepared, meals. Yeah, you know? yeah. like you do not. That was my thing. I was like, if I'm paying for food to be delivered. Like it better be cooked and ready to eat. I don't yeah. want this like produce in a box thing. Right,
0: right. No, I agree. Um, like 18 steps to spend 45 minutes making. something. <laughs> <right>. <laughs> oh, I love that's a great reason. I mean, this is not an ad for freshly, but you should go check them out because I absolutely agree that the biggest benefit in having someone else take care of meals is having the whole thing done so I love that so I joke around that I get angry that dinner has to happen every night so I uh, extra appreciate (laughs) that that's how you show up shamelessly because that's very relatable to my feelings around dinner and why does it always have to happen yeah well this has been fantastic I know this has been an eye-opening conversation for many of our listeners and I'm hoping that this will also really help new mamas and mamas who are planning for second, third, and more babies to really feel way more empowered about creating a plan that works for them postpartum um, related to their work and that transition time. So thank you. Thank you, Ariana. I so appreciate you being here.
1: Glad to be here, Sarah.
0: Mamas, before you carry on with your day, do not forget to pop over and grab your Shameless MomCon 2020 tickets. They are on super sale with a special discount for buddy tickets for a very limited time. Go over to shamelessmomcon.com to get your tickets today. That's shamelessmomcon.com.